and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Marble. I'm Chad Bokelman. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 531. You want to woohoo, Dan? <laughs> I just, I would, but I just, I have to, I have to save it for the most special of all occasions, which, as we all know, is 532. <laughs> it was an internal woo. I mean, assuming this, that that's the actual coverage, which listeners at home don't lock us into anything, but that. You're you're saving that for the Green Arrow issue where Parallax is? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Do I, do I have were, to read that now? Damn it! He he was he was, be, he was being amusing. When uh, when is when is Alan when is the Alan Scott thing out? Um, two weeks after the uh, Green Arrow issue, I think, if I remember right. Oh, so okay, so straight it, up it, October. It, it it could have been pushed back or adjusted in some way. I'll, I'll check. League of Comic Geeks right now, but I'm pretty sure it's not next week, but the week uh, it's not it's not the week after Green Arrow, but the the week after that, if I remember right, like second week of October. Yes. Yeah. This is exciting. We're we're like a week away from having three Lantern books again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Actually, no, I think it I think it's later because uh, the the week of the 11th is the next Green Lantern issue yeah green and then green lantern war journal number two is the the week of the 18th i don't maybe i'm missing it but the cover is so distinct so distinguishable so i'm pretty sure the al the first alan issue comes out late in the month and i think the order kind of swaps around in december yeah you might be right i'm just not seeing it and and that could just because i'm scrolling too fast because i don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time on this but yeah oh chad you're so inordinate <laughs> i've always said that about you mark yells at me and beats me if i if i take too long <laughs> i'm not touching that one looks like 10 24 is what i'm saying oh okay yeah i might have i might have scrolled past it a little too quick but, okay well what are we talking about tonight we're gonna check in with our buddy john stewart he's got a fancy new book that he's what he's waiting to show off to everybody he's waiting to show off he is waiting to show it off he is very proud he's been working very hard on it you know who else has been working very hard on green lantern war journal number one well uh, that would be that would be uh writer philip kennedy johnson and artist montos colorist adriano lucas and letterer dave sharp and don't you know the title of this issue is eyes on the sky we do now you like my segue there? I, I that was very smooth. Of me. Yeah, super smooth. <laughs> Not telegraphed whatsoever. So John Stewart is having a difficult time acclimating to life on Earth. Everything is so much slower and harder than what he's used to, and it doesn't help that his mother's mind is starting to go. She'll repeat the same story over and over as though it was the first time, and she keeps forgetting that her daughter died in an accident years ago. All of that gets interrupted by the arrival of a Green Lantern named Varon, who's come to arrest John in the name of the United Planets for illegally possessing a Green Lantern ring. John makes quick work of Varon and throws him off the planet to deliver a message to his bosses that John doesn't have a ring, doesn't need a ring, and doesn't owe any of them anything. Meanwhile, the International Space Station is devastated by an explosion of purple light, one of the crew, an astronaut named Jane, was outside of the station at the time and was exposed to the light directly. The ring of the Revenant Queen calls to her and begins transforming her when she reaches out to it. Before long, the station is in pieces, haunted by its crew of radiant dead. 
Green Lantern Shepard arrives in his in this universe in an explosion of green light and attempts to destroy the radiant dead before they can spread to Earth, but it may already be too late. The only hope is to destroy the Revenant Queen, which means he has to find this universe's Jon Stewart before she does. And then in the backup. <laughs> Nort's crazy adventure. Oh, Nort's, o- Nort's opening the a bake shop. He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna sell cupcakes. Uh, so that still probably would have been better than the Sinestro Night Night Terrors backup. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know what? I didn't mention it last issue, but we were talking a bit about how Hal should be uh, you know, pretty well equipped to get over the, you know, the night terror stuff pretty quickly. Uh, and, you know, we did get the chance to see that. So that was cool. We didn't talk pretty much at all about how even more so Sinestro shouldn't have been affected by that. <laughs> oh, why? What's Sinestro have to do with fear? Oh, <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. I, I just I remember I wanted to say that last time. and I was like, I totally forgot. <laughs> The only difference is Sinestro was in a was in a messed up place. Sinestro, yeah, I guess he is being paralyzed by self by self doubt. <laughs> so that's the reason why that if there was if one of the two was going to be affected more by having their fears brought up and their weaknesses put on display and they had to deal with them, I think it made more sense that now we all know Sinestro probably would. It's very unlikely Sinestro should have been in that situation, <laughs> but still, I think that 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 to me is the only difference. I guess so. All well, Sinestro, right. Sinestro needed some time to bounce back from the the modern classic that is Dark Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> right, Chad? Yeah, yeah. Modern classic. I uh, can't wait to reread it again and again and again years from now. Um, Luckily, we probably will be dead before the 30th anniversary of Final Crisis comes out. <laughs> Yeah, but then Chad can pass his copy, his his hardback leather bound copy to his children and their children's children, and it'll continue down the bloodline. Assuming I have kids, I would like to, but I I have to face facts. I am thirty six, <laughs> and it's still not yeah, happening. Like, for you me. open a bad road. <laughs> Oh, an open wound, Dan. Nice going. Listen, listen, listen. We can all agree Woo. that Chad is pretty much done. But yeah. you know, we'll, we will folk. We will fix you later. For now, we have to. We have to figure out how to solve John's problems because if if my heart had a gut, this scene with his mom would have punched it very hard. Um, yeah, uh, I think, I think we all have different reactions to this. I can tell you, me personally, it reminded me of my grandmother because she is currently in a home, um, you know, and, uh, she has, is struggling with mental, uh, mental lapses and stuff like that. Uh, very, very similar to what we're seeing from John here, not to get too deep into it or whatever, but my grandfather passed, you know, uh, last year and, there's no point in telling her because she's not going to remember and there's no point in upsetting her. So she doesn't know her husband's gone. So um, that probably got a little too real, a little too quick, but I, I, I just, just to really drive home what you just said, Dan, and yeah, yeah, I was reading this and I was not expecting to get hit that hard reading this book. Yeah. Cause the, cause the whole thing, like it presents kind of just what seems like a normal day in the life in this household with, you know, John's working on the kitchen sink, trying to fix the plumbing a little bit. His mom comes in and tells and like tells this amusing story that she remembers from when he was a kid. And and you wouldn't know anything is up. And then a little later, she tells the story again as if it was the first time it came to her in years. And she starts she's she's up late waiting for her daughter to come home not remembering that her daughter died years ago. And there's this really small yet effective visual choice here where John starts to tell her the truth and remind her about what happened. But then he pauses and we're like, we're zoomed in on his face for a panel, but instead of it being like really close up, it's a smaller panel further away with lots of white border in it. Like it's, it's the feeling of like, this is a moment that 
for him feels like it it lasts an hour because mm-hmm. this is him deciding not to tell her and to just to just indulge her this once and like in that moment like what i got from his whole reaction is he's had to have this conversation with her numerous times before and just this once he wants to avoid having to break that kind of news to her yeah it's a it's a visual sigh that's what it is Uh, like i I don't like white space i've told you know everybody everywhere uh that and when reviewing comics but i know what this is this is this is that moment like and you see with a lot of visual mediums when uh sometimes they do this in animation or in tv or whatever um this certain way where uh you know the character sighs you know but they do a deep breath and then they let it out but the way they do it is as they're doing the deep breath the camera pans very close into their face and as they're letting it out it pans really far away so it like it's it gives an even more visual sort of in and out and then that's that's exactly why they're zooming out there like i i have no doubt that that's why they're doing that Oh, yeah. And usually blank space in a comic just means the artist didn't have time, so they didn't draw the background. This is a very intentional choice of how to use, like, the page layout and the the panel borders to help emphasize what's going on in the narrative. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really excited. I mean, just artistically speaking, I'm, I'm excited. to. I was excited to read this book because... Montos has been doing a doing great work and it's not like his work has suffered from being in backups. It's just, he only gets a couple of pages to show what he can do. And now he can really, you know, kind of let things loose here. Uh, and there's lots of detail to be found. I think that panel, uh, we're probably all t- thinking it, that that panel where we see um, the Revenant queen inside of the, the suit there uh, looks really freaking cool. And speaking speaking of uh, that, this whole I think this whole issue is very um, cinematic. Uh, I think we've probably all seen scenes taking place in low Earth or orbit or whatever uh, in Earth orbit, you know, where the the crew of the space station is just having regular bonding conversations as opposed to something highly scientific. Uh, happen in lots of movies that uh, have scenes like that. Um, so and and the fact that they didn't the the crew didn't die immediately there's several panels of find the seal close the seal can you hear us you know like it's it's they draw it out a little bit so that's really cool yeah they spent they actually spent so much time kind of helping us get to know these characters and their dynamic that part of me wondered like are they directly based on like actual astronauts on the iss like as far as i could tell they're not but like there's so much so much time and effort putting in uh, put into humanizing this group of characters when we may never see anyone but Jane ever again and that like it's it's things like that you don't need to do but the fact that they chose to do it like it kept this from feeling like it was just set up yeah because like what what is the plot significant thing that happens here? Well, the revenant the the portal opens, the revenant queen's ring comes through and possesses Jane. That's it. Like you didn't even need any other human beings in this scene, but it's so much better for them being there. It feels like a more fleshed out world. I have a better idea of who Jane is as a person because of the way they interact with her, and it feels like there's stakes because we've seen this kind of just like without even trying the Revenant queen has already caused casualties. Yeah. They're not just fodder. They, we spent, we spent time not enough to get heartbroken, but you know, we spent time with these characters more than just a couple of panels that a scene like this may be done by somebody else would normally take, you know, two pages. Because I mean, how many how many pages do you really need for everything to go go wrong on a space station uh, if all you're trying to do is just get to the action? Yeah, and like I just kind of this is this whole sequence is five pages. Mm-hmm. 
like this feels like something that you don't do in a modern comic and i love it so mm. much what do you think mark i was gonna be funny but i true but i'm not going to. <laughs> uh <laughs> I hate it. It's terrible. <laughs> no, I'm just going to go, eh, and that was going to be it. <laughs> For the most part, I enjoyed this. I, I I liked the little, and John Stewart was having his, like, flashbacks to stuff when he was working outside. I did, I did like the little, fla- the little tie-ins to St. Walker's people. <laughs> oh, the Estonians? Oh, yeah. yeah, just in, in the little pink leotards there. Uh, but that, that was, that was, that was, that was a nice callback. I didn't think that I needed, but it was nice. For the most part, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this issue. My, fa- of course, my highlight is watching him beat the living shit out of the uh, message boy, the messenger boy. <laughs> I was, life. I was gonna say this. This lantern is everything Mark hates about the United Planets in, in one person. Oh yes, it's just, <laughs> it, 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 it is quite glorious the beat down he gets and uh, the big f you to the United Planets. I mean, not, not that John would have not necessarily done this. Even if the you know even if the guardians had sent somebody like this, but obviously because of the lack of guardian ties to this to this jabroni, it makes it easier for John to just say that's kind of, that's kind of the way Hal responded to Jack T. Jantz pulling the gun on him in Emerald Emerald Twilight. It's like, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> this is the best you can do. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I thought it was an interesting stylistic choice of why they hadn't. I couldn't help but notice why they made John Stewart's sister talk the way she did, because she certainly didn't talk the same way that he, that he or his mother talked. So I'm sure that was a decision, a conscious decision, but I'm not quite sure why and and what what the decision making there was. But I find it difficult to believe that was just random. The stuff with the Revenant Queen is whatever. It, it obviously opens the door because we don't know what her power sets are. We don't know, but obviously it relates to a ring. So that that. There has to be some offshoot, some variation on the, even if it's just based on Owen tech, if, even if it's not really based on the emotional spectrum, there's got to be something, something tied to that. I, I certainly got, I got Sotomayat vibes off a, off of a shepherd at the end, probably because of the way his hair was, but I think part of his attitude too. I thought I got a little Sotomayat out of him. It seemed like a pretty quick, and I don't mean because not in the sense that it was fluff. But it was a quick read. It seemed like it was a pretty, it didn't seem like it was an almost like a normal size issue because of the way, how quickly it read, which for the most part is a positive here. So I think, and the pages that have no dialogue at all are pretty effective. As you see John Stewart trying to like adjust to his real life and what, what he's actually doing versus what, where his mind is and what he's thinking about, which kind of yeah, tells I, you that. Go ahead. I especially love the detail. Like he's sitting in traffic staring he's or he said yeah he's sitting at a red light staring at his dashboard the speed is zero there's almost no fuel left in the tank and all he can think about is out racing alien fighters with like a blazing hot ring on his finger or like how he's working up a sweat doing some landscaping in the backyard when he used to be able to erect entire dams with a thought and it's it's such a, like a, it, I think it's so effective because he still has his powers. He could make his life easier, but if he did that, it would defeat the whole point because that would just be him admitting that he can't be anything more than his powers. Like he's doing this because he wants to have a life that can be defined by something else that lets him be something else. So like flying home instead of waiting in traffic or like, just snapping his fingers and getting all these holes done. It would be simpler, but it would, it would just kind of be giving up. You know, and that's, I think that, that that's part of that brings us to exactly why I really like this issue is this fits perfectly in with the backups, but also works as a great first issue. Oh, God, yes. Having never read any of the backups, because what you were just talking about his you were visually seeing his his thought process. And, and, you know, he's trying very hard to forget that part of him or or trying very hard to recapture his own humanity. So that's not all he is. That's literally a conversation he and Guy have in the backup that we covered from issue three. But we also see it visually continue here. So if you read the backups, great. You're seeing that theme uh, brought to light. But if you didn't, you still get that feeling. 
if you don't know anything about the Revenant Queen or whatever, or the fact that it comes from another universe, that doesn't really matter because if we've ever had stories in the past with a someone from another universe, they very quickly tell you that he is from another universe. And that's not really anything new to anyone reading media these days because the multiverse is kind of everywhere in science fiction. So it's it, you're not even is there some stuff you're missing and probably would want to learn? Sure, but that's there either way in terms of if this is your first time experiencing this story or if this is your fourth outing getting another piece of this puzzle. It works fine either way. And also, John doesn't know what's going on. And as soon as Shepard finds John, he's going to have to tell him what's happening, which is likely going to provide anybody who didn't read the backups with any context they might be missing. Yeah. But yeah, this I think this works very, very well as a first issue. I had the same thought as you, Chad. Like it's it's such a good introduction that like I could see somebody reading this and going forward with the series and then and not even knowing there was any material that came before it. Because you really don't need it. Yeah, probably they probably wouldn't know until if they really like this series until they pick up the trade, because I bet you the backups will be in the trade. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. And Mark's I Mike, Mark is right. Like it's this issue went by really quickly. And I think that's a testament to how efficient it is. Like they get across they Im, they get across a lot of information very quickly by like almost almost through implying fit like like example of what I mean when this when this Green Lantern Varon shows up he announces himself as as a a lantern lantern Varon of the reorganized Green Lantern Corps on, of the United Planets so okay right there if you if you didn't it makes read, you want to vomit right there right there <laughs> is what it does. Well, if you didn't read any of the past run, you don't know that the SAS clothes changed. Now, all of a sudden, you know, like, oh, the Green Lantern Corps is under new, new management and things have been changed up. You get you you find out really quickly that they're operating on bad or incomplete information because he's here to arrest John for possessing a ring that he hasn't had for a long time. You learn that, oh, hey, John is John is an ascent like they don't use the word ascended being but you learn really quickly that oh he doesn't need a ring he just has internal powers but crucially and the thing that i think is going to matter a lot going forward is the fact that john punches this guy twice and then varin immediately gives up immediately and I had the same reaction as John. I'm like, what kind of Green Lantern throws in the towel as soon as, like, even against a, a superior opponent? Take two punches. You're not even that injured or unconscious or whatever. You just give up. Like, I look at I look at Varen. I see I see a brand new Green Lantern because John doesn't know him. I see a brand new Green Lantern that likely would not and could not have gotten a ring under the old regime. But now that they're under new management, this might be indicative of or representative of the newest crop of lanterns out there, which has me incredibly concerned with with the state of the core overall under the United Planets. And the state of the universe being protected by these lanterns like this. He's a diversity hire, Dan. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't have an, they didn't have enough pink purple aliens in the core, so that's why. <laughs> well, we we fired Sinestro, but we hired his Katma and she and and then we hired Sora and well she she quit for uh, it was, uh, hey hey how about you like Mark you you might appreciate this like Lantern Varen reminds me a lot of of the Sith Inquisitors. <laughs> because and what I mean, what I mean is he's got the look, he's got the weapon, but as soon as soon as an actual threat shows up, an actual challenge presents itself, 
he just crumples because he's basically just a cosplayer who's letting letting like his reputation the reputation of and the badge do all the work. Yeah, he believes his own hype. He believes his own hype and he believes the the UP's own hype. He bought he 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 drank the Kool-Aid when he was brought on. Uh and he was told this is the most powerful weapon in the universe and he believes that's all he needs. He might not even be told that number one. I I would I would agree. I would say that the Inquisitors probably are have, are a little more skilled because at least they have at least they're force sensitive. We don't even know we don't even know how willpower how much willpower these guys have because we also don't know what their criteria are. We don't know how the rings are functioning, but more but also more importantly, we don't know who's training these people. I'll tell you who he reminds me of. I'm on Sir. Yeah. Oh he does. yeah. And not just physically, but you're right. Yeah, he there's his attitude. Yes. He believes his own hype. Look at look at the way he's standing in front of John and floating in the air with his arms spread like I'm Lantern Varen and I'm here on this authority and everything here is forfeit. And you're going to give up to me right now. <laughs> this is what Amon Sir did when he got power. He he's thought true. he he thought he was owed everything that came to him and he couldn't handle it when he had it. He straight up tries to repossess John's mom's house. Yeah, this had a very John Wick feel like, you, you know, you, you know, you're you're messing with me. You're screwing. With me. First of all, you put chains on a black man. There's also that whole thing. But then there's also the whole like, you know, the John Wick, you killed the puppy. And, you know, like the, the phone call that's made later on. It's like, oh, they they killed John Wick's dog. Hell is coming our way. That's the same thing. It's like, OK, you're messing with me. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Now you're going to try and screw with my mom. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> So, yeah. And plus we have. The other interesting thing is how uh, he talks about that that all the other ring wielders on Earth have been accounted for except for him, which means either this takes place before Hal created his his new ring, or Hal's ring for some reason is not detectable to the to to uh well, to the, to the United was, planets. There was that info page yep. in issue two where they're like Hal Jordan, you know, retired or whatever. And then there's like a citation that says like an energy source has been detected in his vicinity. So they know he doesn't have a ring, but they know there's something going on nearby, like with him, but they don't know what. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Not only does he get, you know, kick this lantern's ass and sends him packing away from his house. He literally he, he says get out of his house and by get out of his house he means his planet because he kicks him into orbit. <laughs> yeah. like, get out of here. <laughs> and I again great panel details. Every on this two page spread here of John beating this asshole up, every time to- every panel where John lands a punch, the the edges of the panel are shattering. And to the point that, like, once we see Lantern of, uh, I forgot his name already. Varen. Varen. Varen like, he, he's he been punched off of Earth. He's, like, careening through space out of the panel, which is, like, kind of crumbling to pieces behind him. He's been kicked out of the story. <laughs> he was He was literally removed from the comic book right in front of us. He's, he's going home to change his pampers. He he is this literally. I have to go. My planet needs me. Did uh, were we ever told who the AI is in Shepard's ring? Because we didn't talk about Shepard much. Well, if it's an AI, yeah, I mean, I don't, well, think it, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Just, I don't think we're supposed to believe it is. It's I mean, to... I, I'm referring to it as an AI, but he clearly says I. He, when he's talking to, you, he says I don't remember you being this talkative when you were alive. One, he knew this person when they were alive. And two, it's a person. So, yeah, my could be guess, a downloaded consciousness applied to an AI or something. Yeah, or it could be like he trained the AI to to simulate a, uh, someone who's important to him or whatever. But like, yeah, at the same time, this is the same franchise where like Kilowogs like stored a planet full of souls in his ring for a while. That's so like it's true, and that would that that kind of that kind of horrific thing would fit really well with the tone of this book i think so i hope that's what it is but um my think my thought is like it's probably like the what's left of the essence or whatever of uh his universe's guy gardner since guy died right right next to him and that's mm, also the maybe. only other that's the only other non-john stewart human being we've seen shepherd talk to maybe i don't know that i would 
think guy would talk like this. Yeah, I, I was going to say it. It would. It doesn't. If if it is guy, there has to be an explanation for why, because it doesn't sound like it doesn't tonally. It doesn't sound like guy at all. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. Based on our limited interaction with the Green Lanterns from his universe, it's the it's the only guess we would have based on lanterns we know. But it does it doesn't unless it, I guess yeah, like I said, unless we get an explanation for somehow the the memories of the consciousness of Guy somehow being in the ring and this is the way it manifests itself. And so it's kind of like almost like a conflict between you know it, Guy's personality at least in the beginning can't come come through, but yet it's so yeah. But plus guy would guy plus guy would be talkative. Yeah. I think it's interesting that as of this issue, we have two power rings from another universe show up and both of them have another character inside of them. Hmm. That's true. Well, I I was just thinking because like when in the backups, we saw the Revenant Queen literally fall through a portal and you would think she would arrive here the same way Shepard did, which is just, hey, teleport here and you're have your body and stuff but the only the ring seems to have come through so did she ever have a body is the body some kind of construct or is yeah, she, she like she clearly needs a host yeah so like who so like i guess the ring just overwrites the the mind of whoever the host is with the with it like maybe if not like a copy or a memory of the original owner of that ring so I guess like the big threat here is a parasitic ring. So I think, I, which I think should make Chad happy because this ring is a symbiote. This is this <laughs> is one this is one of those venoms you like so much, Chad. True. Also, this uh, tell me this this book, especially towards the last couple of pages, didn't get a, uh, a whole horror feel for it. Oh, it's if it like, did. It's like yeah. Alien in the last couple pages. Yeah, no, for sure. So, and you know, remember, and I always forget every time I bring up the damn subject, but when What's-His-Name was supposed to do a Green Lantern horror title, uh, looks like we're getting some of that here, so that's cool. Yeah. You know, this book is, it has an incredibly strong emotional core right out of the gate, and it does a really good job of setting up a very creepy mystery threat coming from space. I'm very happy with how this started. I had one other thing I wanted to bring up about this, but it's it, it, I waited till the end because it's, you know, it's really not neither neither here nor there. So we were talking last time about, you know, Philip Kennedy Johnson has said there's, you know, we're going to talk about John's sister and stuff like that. And finally, we we get that. But, you know, she's she's passed away. Um, a couple a couple of things there, because that could or couldn't lend credence to my thought that this is somehow the revenant queen or something is somehow related to John directly. But more, more than that, like, cause we, we mentioned it last time, Dan, you, you actually were the one who brought it up. Uh, Rose from the power of ion who we were introduced to during that story of John's sister who passed away in that car accident that, you know, he caused. Um, Now, Philip Kennedy Johnson didn't know about Rose, obviously. so do we think like is that still in continuity? Like this is like the 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 least bit in terms of like does it even matter? But like uh, are are we changing uh, Rose's name to Ellie or did the the worst possible case scenario did both Rose and Ellie exist and this woman lost both of her young daughters? I mean I feel like the easiest thing to do is go first name middle name you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, like maybe Rose is her middle name or or it's just a nickname she likes or something. I don't know. But yeah. I I don't know. I mean, it's there's it's it's kind of a fortunate situation in, in that any version of John's sister has so little told about her that you can kind of combine them pretty easily if you if you really want to. Yeah. OK, like like I said, it's. In in the long run, it, it doesn't matter too much. And anybody who goes into a new Lantern series expecting the the new writer to have read every issue ever published about a character is is batshit crazy. But uh, uh, just in terms of edifying my own sense of continuity, I, I had to at least ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think I think we're gonna 
we're going to learn a lot more about John's the state of John's family as the series goes forward. And I'm here for it because what they've given us so far is kind of incredible. And even if his sister only exists in the story as this, this terrible memory that he has to continue. He and his mom have to continuously reckon with because she keeps forgetting like that's already that is already more impact than most living characters have in their stories. <laughs> true, true. Um, I, I I thought it was a great first showing. Like I said, I think as much as I am impressed by Montos's work and the ability of his art to breathe in this and really see him spread his wings and stuff, and as much as I like the story, and all, all of that both c- contributes to what I'm about to say. I think my the biggest thing I'm impressed by is how well this works as a first issue or a continuation of what we've seen from the backup. And it stands pretty, pretty great in both cases. So that's a, that's, that's a really well done transition from backup to, um, you know, standalone series. I can't wait to see what, what, uh, two month long event will disrupt this one after issue <laughs> two. <laughs> um I did see someone online talk about it and I don't know that it's you know the best theory, but it's worth it a little bit in terms of potential power and definitely color. This this ring doesn't have anything to do with Eclipso, does it? Oh. Do we do we because like you know Dan I saw your theory talking about star sapphires and stuff like that on your coverage and and things like that or you know fatality or or whatever or, or cat matui and stuff like that but like could this also be somehow related to to uh eclipso and the black diamond i mean maybe yeah i don't know i mean a, a variable that we can't we can't overstate the importance of is the fact that Whatever is going on, it's it's another universe's version of it. Yeah. You know, like we could like there's this mystery voice in Shepherd's Ring. And and it, we're all we're fixated on like, hey, who is that voice? Who, how'd they get in there? Why are they in there? But also, we don't actually know if if rings from that universe operate the way we're used to we don't know if there's any important differences between them because like it's from a whole new a whole other universe who knows what the rules are or how things work so like yeah it could be a like the revenant queen's ring could be uh, that world's version of eclipso it could it could be i don't know i don't even know it could be anything (laughs) You know, another interesting tie in that I just saw and I don't sorry to interrupt. I just see um, uh, to the actual Green Lantern series is and, and and whether this is intentional or not. I don't I don't know. Probably not. But the fact that Ellie, the construct, comes in all green and then eventually in, over the course of three panels changes into full color like we yeah. saw Hal do with the antelope. So that's that's really cool. My, my only thing is like. Did he do that? Uh, we, I mean, I assume he did. If Hal can do it with his ring, John with his ascended power should definitely be able to do it. Um, but like, or is this like, are are we in some way maybe seeing her take shape or whatever through the mom's eyes? I, I don't know. I think it's literal. I think yeah. it's 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 John making real his his mom's fantasy. You know. Yeah. Whereas with how Hal doing it is is a piece of a larger mystery surrounding his ring whereas this is just a thing john can do because he's as powerful as a guardian just like how i think we talked about it a week ago you know it's just like how kyle was able to do this exact same thing because he was he was starting to tap into the ion power yeah gotcha god this page though the bot the, the last panel on this page is probably like the most like heartbreaking one in the whole issue. Cause like John has made the decision to just go with the flow and just indulge his mom. 
and has he brought in the the fake sister and the mom's starting to tell the same story again and john puts a completely fake happy happy face on and and just goes with it and it's just so sad dan did you do you have the print version yet or do you just have digital uh, just digital gotcha um, because I don't know the the print version has this preview of Justice League versus Kong versus Godzilla. Uh uh-huh. Um, we're not going to talk about it much, obviously, because at some point I'd like to talk about the actual thing on the show. But um, it's an interesting little preview. the The design they choose for Godzilla here is kind of the monster verse meets maybe Shin Godzilla in terms of. I mean, look at that tail. Yeah. Yeah, that's intense. Because the only time I remember Godzilla having a massive serpentine-like, whip-like tail was Shin, uh, at least in terms of recent designs. So Yeah, but it doesn't have that gross thing on the end. Yeah, that's true. Did you see the trailer for Godzilla Minus or Godzilla Minus Zero? I can't wait to see it. Can't wait yeah, to see it. It's insane. I, I, it's incredible. Yeah. Also, uh, this is this is really interesting here. I I maybe everybody else caught this. Mark, I don't know if you caught this. Apparently, the Godzilla roar and Kong roar covers are like are like well, you know when you open a birthday card and it makes noise. This is the same. <laughs> it's it's the same thing. There, it's a comic book that you open and it roars. Well, yeah. I, I kind of I think I I think conceptually that's the only way I figured it would work unless they were going to have like a literally a lot. They were gonna have like a button you would press at a certain page or something. I kind of assumed it would have to it would have to be uh like 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 you said like one of those, like a birthday card. Right, but I like for me for some reason I was thinking like it would be a its own unique design and they would have fun with with literally lettering across the to the cover like Screonk or whatever. Oh, you, you know, didn't think there was going to be an an any audio playing? No, I thought when they said roar cover like they were because. I mean, because I mean, let's face it, Godzilla has had a long history in the comics, specific what since the 70s at this point with Marvel, right? Yeah. So it one one if you're talking lettering in comics in terms of like sound effects and stuff, Screonk is 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 something they always use. So I thought they were going to have fun with that somehow artistically. That's what I was thinking. Nope, it's way dumber. <laughs> that's so knowing that and knowing how expensive that probably has to be i think i'm probably going to go with a one in 25 dan mora variant cover <laughs> so, because yeah <laughs> uh but anyways uh speaking of the justice league there's uh some other dc character we should talk about right i suppose well, i mean we already talked about godzilla <laughs> yes they did drop for those that really care, they did drop a the finally an Aquaman trailer, which which is kind of interesting because I damn well know I heard this. Obviously, it was just a rumor that this movie had been pushed back. I heard that months ago that they pushed it out of December when clearly that was not true because when all the scuttlebutt started about oh we were going to get the teaser trailer finally, I'm thinking what's the what it, what's the big deal? I mean the movie's not coming out in December, and they're like well no apparently it is coming out in December. So was it the Lost Kingdom? Yep. Ugh. It was I th- I thought for what it was here's here's the thing for for what we see in it it's fine I mean Jason Momoa is likable he's not really Aquaman I do appreciate the fact they are sticking him back in the classic costume on a regular basis in this movie so I I think that is a plus but and I like and I like Patrick Wilson I told I said that to uh, to Chad Patrick Wilson and. And almost everything he's in, with the exception of Phantom of the Opera, because that would be Emmy Rostrum was the best thing in that movie, that Patrick Wilson's almost always the best thing in anything that he's in. And that's my and that's I'm interested in seeing these two characters in this, you know, this bromance kind of thing playing off each other in this movie. But Black Manta does nothing for me as a comic book character. And they obviously are not going for any kind of redemption arc in this movie or any kind of relate relatability to the villain since he, He's laying it on really, really thick with what he's going to do in this movie, which we'll come back to. But it's it, it gives you the same vibe of the first movie. So, again, a lot of this, how you feel about this trailer basically comes down to how much you like the first movie, I think. And if you really like the first movie, you're probably going to be mostly optimistic towards this. If you thought the first movie was OK or then this probably isn't going to move the needle, I don't think either. 
Yeah, this yeah. is one. This is one of those where ev- literally everybody that made the first movie just came back to do more of it. And I guess in my case, that's more or less a good thing. Like, like I like variety from from new installments, but at the same time, that first Aquaman movie was bright and colorful and fun and it was just a really good time and it had some really cool ideas in there and i don't know it's it's one of the only dc movies that i will still go back and watch from uh from uh the the more recent era and yeah i i didn't get to see the first aquaman on the big screen and i could tell like just watching it at home like oh yeah this would this would benefit from seeing it as large as possible. So maybe this time I will. Yeah, I, you know, uh, you know, and I think Mark, you had a, a thought about this in terms of the amount of CGI and everything as well, um, which of course you can expound on here in a moment, but like uh, I saw the same sort of thing said online from other people. And I, I don't know that I have a problem with it. Mar- Dan, you were talking about how the first one was very colorful and bright and stuff like that. Especially that back half of the movie, you know, then you get to the to the war and everything. Uh, and, and, you know, when the Kraken or whatever we called it, uh, I forget the actual name of it, but uh, Kraken is so ubiquitous, I guess it's just like whatever. Um, but like all the, the creature designs and the colorful and the kind of, you know, the the neon light that kind of everything takes on when you seen through an Atlantean's eyes or, or somebody who's. Uh, who lives under the ocean and stuff like that. That's, that's all just been, you know, dialed up to 11. It's like, it's like they're like, oh, okay, let's, let's do that plus some in this next movie. So that doesn't really surprise me much. Um, you know, at the very least, it keeps the whole thing. If you were to watch the first Aquaman movie and then I assume this one back to back, it keeps the whole thing visually consistent. I don't see anything here that makes it, that goes so far that it wouldn't look good being watched in quick succession with these two movies. Um, I usually that's my kind of delineator in terms of if they're doing too much is if it's like, okay, wait, this doesn't look anything like the first movie or it's like way, way, way too much or whatever. Um, But then again, that's, this is only a trailer. So we'll have to see how it actually pans out story wise. Um, I just, I don't care. Uh, Like I'm, I'm a DC fan. I actually, I like the designs and the character features of the world building and stuff like that. I'm going to see this movie and I'm going to enjoy it probably for what it is, assuming it's an enjoyable movie in and of itself. But because of everything going on with DC right now, I don't care. I just don't. I don't. I, and like, yes, you can take the whole, like at the end of the flash thing, how the end credit scene was something involving Jason Momoa's Aquaman and how that maybe we have plans for Aquaman um and or uh, sorry for jason momoa moving forward whether or not that's aquaman or lobo or whatever who knows um people assuming it's aquaman or whatnot but like that's all just rumor and at this point it just it doesn't matter i we're we're going somewhere else with the dc universe we've been told we're going somewhere else with the dc universe and as much as i like seeing new dc things it's hard for me to care about this film beyond just watching it in its own bubble vacuum yeah and there's nothing wrong with that i mean yeah i'm looking forward to this movie and i'm thinking about the exact same way that i more or less think about blue beetle like blue beetle was just a blue beetle movie this is just an aquaman movie and Mm -hmm. even the first aquaman movie even though it is connected to all all of the other like snyderverse stuff I can watch it just as an Aquaman movie. I don't have like there's one line of dialogue with when Mara shows up that's like, hey, remember that thing you did in that other movie? And after that, like before you know it, they're in the desert having a great time and I'm having a great time with them. So it's like like I don't I it's similar similar to how I feel about that first Shazam movie. Like there are a very few of these of these like contemporary DC movies that that yeah they might be tied to this or that but they work really well by themselves as just fun character movies and will they be connected to something else down the road you know will 
will Blue Beetle and Aquaman become friends and go join Guy Gardner's Justice League in the Superman movie? Like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll worry about that when it happens. For now, I just want a good... I want to go hang out with, like, Topo and some sharks. Yeah, I will I will say that, you know, just in terms of social media, people who are, are Black Manta fans are pretty stoked for this movie right now. Oh yeah, Black I am the anti-Mark in terms of Black Manta here. Like Black Black Manta this is this is a top 10 comic costume at adapted to real life. Oh, one of he, well, yeah, he looks he looks fantastic. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he is such he's so like when you do Black Manta right, he is like the scariest guy in the world and combine that with the fact that everything about his costume is so goddamn stupid and the fact that they built it perfectly. Like I never I didn't think he would be in the sequel. I am so happy that he's in the sequel. <laughs> now the in- the other interesting thing regarding the uh which kind of touches on the idea that, like Chad said, about people people not caring about the DCU right now, and again, it kind of and it kind of goes beyond that. It goes more than not caring. Is that there's there's a there's a whole lot of bad momentum pretty much with with the DCU now. Is that it didn't take long after this trailer came out, then all of a sudden now, I, I think some of these stories were might have been circulating before, but nobody cared because we hadn't even seen a trailer yet, and we didn't know when this movie was coming out. But just the idea that there's a story. There's this story that you know, some that when they were doing test screenings for this movie, and who knows when they were doing test screenings because this movie has been reshot and reassembled and put together so many different times. That about all the people that walked out on this movie because they're supposed to be, and if you know Aquaman, I'm not going to go into specifics here, but if you know some of Aquaman's story history, then you might be able to suspect where they're going with this. That there are certain things happen to characters we see in this trailer that actually happen in the movie that are pretty disturbing. So. Oh shut up! What really? <laughs> so no way. They're so, not. A, they're not. They can't adapt it on screen. You think? Uh the rumors are they did. Uh, that's no what, way. Okay, that's so, intense. Yeah. So the real. So that's supposedly what caused the people to walk out of the trailers, and that may not be true, but but a lot of the story. I mean, I, a lot of again, this it's a rumor. It is a rumor, but it's a heav- heavily substantiated, well, as substantiated as a rumor could be. It's a supported. The the case that the rumor is accurate, there's a lot of different sources or a lot of different saying that that does happen in the movie. And so the other concern about that, even if you can move beyond it, is the fact that as Dan was talking about it, and it changes the whole tone of what, what this movie is versus the first movie, which was very mostly... There was some dark stuff in it, but it was mostly upbeat and positive. And if you're going to go down that, if you're going to go down that road in this movie, that that that's that's a slippery slope to do. Uh, Does but, James Wan have the clout to pull that off? No, uh, well, maybe. I mean, again, it could turn. If out he does, be- if he does, you're looking. I, I'm like I, I keep rewatching the trailer as we're talking about all this, but obviously muted, and I just let it, you know, kind of cycle. Just the color and the, the 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 humor and like if if they do that in this film, it breaks the entire tone I'm seeing set up here. No, I agree, and that's why I'm I'm kind I'm I'm hoping that I mean I'm really hoping that's not the case for multiple multiple reasons clearly, but I think, but but it is interesting again just the overall vibe out there because even. And again, even people who are talking about this, even if it turns out not to be true, it's not necessarily because they're spreading false information. They may very well have heard it from sources that have been reliable in the past and they're repeating it. It turns out and it turns out not to be true. Or like we see with a lot of movies, it could have been in there at one point or in one version of the movie and they decided, eh, we got to take it out and we, and we can't go with it. Like, because so a lot of, because some of these things, they're, there's reason to believe some of these things that happen in movies that you hear lots of rumors about really are true or they shot it or they were about to shoot it and they just decided not to, as opposed to people just talking out there, you know, what's and making it sound trying to take shots at, at the movie or make people dislike a movie before it comes out. We don't know, but it's just I find it, I found it quite curious that probably within like one or two days of this trailer dropping that then all of a sudden you started hearing about this tonal this tonal shift because people were going back referring to the test screenings when people were walking out. And then you started getting the details of supposedly what exactly what, what the cause was of what made people pretty much throw in the towel when that happened. So again, you know, we've been about, 
I think we've actually had a good discussion as cryptic as cryptic as I wanted to be about this. You know, I think we had as good a discussion as we could, because, again, we don't know if it's true, but I cannot. But certainly yeah. if it does, it's complete tonally. It's a big problem. And I don't and I don't quite know how they can kind of re, how they can recover from that, depending. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm not, but, I'm not going to I'm not going to break the glass. But like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, it, it, one, we're not saying it, guys, for spoiler reasons. And two. Just because it's disturbing content, if you think about it being adapted on screen. But if you want to know what we were talking about, just Google the most the biggest Aquaman story of the 70s, if not just the biggest Aquaman story ever. Yeah, like they so. would have to completely change the visual language of the movie. Yeah. After that happens. You know, if it happens, I, I bet you it has something to do with that scene where he's underwater uh, in plain clothes trying to throw a punch and gets trapped under a rock. Yeah, is that is he is he? Is, I'm trying to remember the trailer because I have only I watched it a couple of times right after it came out. Is he still wearing those same kind of clothes when he's when he's back on the, on seeing the house burn? Oh, I don't know. Not that uh, it means not that it necessarily means that those scenes are means anything because things can be sliced together anyway. But I was just curious to see if he was just to see because if he was, then you could say, well, he's literally reacting to something either that scene what you're showing on screen or he's reacting to what we're not kind of maybe what we're alluding to but i don't i don't know it yeah i think and it, and it yeah it has it has to depend when when it, when it when it occurs in the movie clearly uh because we know we know it's gonna no matter what we know we suspect that the movie is going to start off with a much more light tone and then and and there's reason to believe it could be true just based on the, the fact no that okay, yeah cool. sorry sorry when that when the house is burning he's in his aquaman gear okay which is which again okay so it just because we based on that whole black manta little diatribe there about killing him and his family and blah blah blah. It's like well, uh, it's there's they certainly were not they're certainly not beating around the bush with like I said with this mm-hmm. character's motives and trying to trying to say hey this is a villain we can we we kind of understand we understand what his goals are and we can relate on some levels like they clearly are not going for that with this character so it does kind of open the door for us for certain things happening in this movie regardless of who they happen to. That we might not normally really expect to happen just because this seems to be a primary focus of this now amped up Black Manta. So I will say also uh, one thing I will say because uh, I watched uh, obviously um, in terms of watching the trailer, it's on the DC YouTube page. But also, I don't know if it's like everywhere. Like I, I know they're going hard on the marketing for this because they absolutely freaking have to because they waited so damn long to drop a trailer. Um uh, but um, I've seen this as play as a YouTube ad, so I'm not sure how much of how much of this is shown on the actual ad space. But if you watch the actual trailer on the DC YouTube page, it'll you know based on characters, screenplay by. But it ends where with a with an ad for the comics. It says, "Read where it all began. Go to a comic shop, bookstore, visit DC.com/slash/Aquaman," yep. and it sh- and it shows a couple of different trades. So, uh, good, you know, DC has pissed me off, especially even very recently for lots of different reasons. But one thing we have said as fans for a while there, why don't you advertise the damn comics <laughs> when you do this stuff? And yeah, it's tucked in the final few seconds of a, of a trailer that maybe nobody uh, continued watching uh, after, you know, the actual trailer itself ended. But it's there. They're doing it. <laughs> Yes, I do was going to bring that it, up, too. Do it, do it more and do it better, but at least they're starting to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm going to see um, The Lost Kingdom in theaters, especially if they go that route that shall not be named. I don't know that I want to see that around a bunch of people and have a visual, a visceral reaction and potentially walk out. <laughs> so I, I may wait to be honestly probably spoiled to see if it actually is in there, because if it is, I, I don't know, it would be like a boycott. Like, Oh, if it happens, I'm not going to see the movie at all. Damn you. But like, uh, I, for that kind of thing, especially lately, you know, the past couple of years and everything. Um, I, I don't know that I am prepared to see that kind of content on the screen in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> I think so. the, on the bright side, I think, well, I think we'll, pro- it's pretty straightforward. We're going to know whether that's true or not shortly. 
even probably before the movie actually opens once once literally once the embargo probably gets uh lifted depending how far before the movie gets released the review embargo gets lifted because somebody's going to allude to it because because someone's going to be find that problematic or they're going to feel the, the need to try to and, and it does not necessarily mean they're going to come out and spoil it completely in their review but they're going to but they're going to i think some people are going to feel compelled to at least try to let to warn people about from a content perspective about this and plus there will be they'll just get the, the spoilers will be out there so if that so on the bright side if it's not if it's not true we'll probably we'll probably know about it just like just like if anybody wants to know like the post credit scenes for movies or if you wait if you pretty much wait until the day the movie drops if not a couple of days before you almost always can find out what they are if you really want to know so the odds are if if this is true we're going to know about it before it opens and if it's not true we're going to know too so and it's not like it hasn't been done in in movies and everything no. before. It's just to do it in this movie with the tone that this trailer sets up. It's it's such a a and Mark is is a heel turn. You you like to correct me when I use the wrong idiom there. <laughs> if somebody yeah yes this based on I think where you're going with it yes it's it is a. If if someone's turning bad, it's a heel turn. It's a face turn. If somebody's turning good, okay. So, no, it's it's a it's a definite tonal heel turn if they adapt it given the tone we see in this trailer. And that and they run the and that's a big risk too. You run the big risk whenever you do it. Whenever you do a trailer that has a certain tone, and then remember that was one of the things that I think uh, the first Suicide Squad movie had to had had to wrestle with because it's because the there was a lot of there was a lot of criticism. In, I think internally about what what the tone of that movie was being was what it was making the movie look like versus what was actually on the screen and that's why they had to change they kind of changed I think the marketing for that when they when they going forward because if you advertise something one way and it's and it's not really indicative of what the movie is you always run the risk yeah you might put asses in the seats immediately but you run the risk of a lot of pushback when it's like well that's not how the movie was sold to us and that's not the kind of movie we were expecting. You know, that actually that reminds me because I recently I had a particularly bad day at work. So, you know, I turned to my comfort content, uh, which was my one of my favorite movies of all time, Stranger Than Fiction. And it I don't know why the thought had never occurred to me before. But I after I watched it, I went over to YouTube and I wanted to see, like, has anybody done reactions to this this movie or breakdowns of this movie or whatever? Because a lot of so many people don't know what the movie Stranger Than Fiction is. And I found out that I guess when it because I didn't I didn't, you know, see that movie and then love it because I saw it in theaters. I saw I can't remember how I discovered the film, but it definitely wasn't in theaters. So apparently when the movie was released, I didn't know this. It bombed because the way they marketed it was as another Will Ferrell, you know, blockbuster type, you know, the, the type of humor that Will Ferrell does type movie. And then people went to see Stranger Than Fiction and it wasn't that it was a, a more serious dramatic role type thing. And people felt let down because they were expecting one thing and didn't see another. And then word got out and then that movie, quote unquote, bombed. And that's why so many people don't know it exists because there's not a lot of people talking about it. But the people who do see it seem you know, like myself, seem to really love it. So obviously not quite, you know, a 50-50 equal split here between the two things we're talking about, but it did remind me of that. All right. Dan, if people want to reach out to you and find your new content, what's next on your channel? I mean, next I am, well, I'm talking about this issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but beyond that, I am still putting together something for Halloween. Which, you know, hey, if make of this what you will, but this is actually my backup Halloween plan because my first Halloween plan ended up being too big for me to finish for this year. So I'm finishing it for next year. <laughs> so subscribe now to, to be, be in time to see that. <laughs> Advanced tickets are now on sale. Yeah, the preview screenings. It's great. Look, I don't think I'm overstating it to say that the Mosaic Comics YouTube channel is the pinnacle of human happiness and ev anyone who isn't subscribed will forever have an empty void in their lives. I thought he was about to say the pinnacle of lantern content on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> this, that, this, that, or the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but no, what what it is is the place I go to overthink storylines and just generally explore and celebrate my favorite things in the medium of comics. It's mostly Green Lantern, but I'm slowly building up a playlist of general comics, including Marvel, indie publishers, and manga. So if you're in the mood for some generally positive discourse about some awesome comics, hopefully you'll give one of my videos a try. Mosaic Comics on YouTube. Hope to see you in the comments. And Mark, if they want to reach out to us, how do they do so? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on whatever t- on for on, on the former Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. Rest in peace, Stitcher. Probably Pandora. Probably the other thing you mentioned last week, which I still haven't included because it sounds so dumb. <laughs> Pod Podbean. Yeah, Podbean. Add that one. I'll, I'll I'll let me let me let me make a quick note so I add that in for the <laughs> for the next time. So or maybe I won't. I don't know. Um, so whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, seven oh eight lantern, and let us know what you think. Every time you you mention Stitcher collapsing or whatever happened to Stitcher. I think back to when Jim excitedly announced that for the first time people can listen to our podcast on Stitchum. One thing I wanted to mention, because I forgot to mention it last time, listeners do not be surprised if one week you open your podcast feed and there are a bunch of episodes of created creative credit in your feed. Uh, we have been meaning to drop those episodes into the main lantern cast feed for a while. Plus that actually gives us and, and Mark of course, a break uh, from not just uh, recording, but editing, posting and everything like that. So, uh, you know, if we've had skip weeks before, but uh, posting that, creative credit content into the lantern cast feed will give us a, a true skip week or two. Um, so it, I, I'm not going to give you a specific date. Like it'll be between this episode and the next regularly recorded episode, but uh, very soon expect to see that stuff released into the feed to give us a bit of a break, but still give you guys content to listen to. <laughs> yes. And during oh. that break, go on over to Mosaic Comics on YouTube. <laughs> Jim, Jim Ford's podcast, everybody. <laughs> hey there, Lantern fans. Are you feeling underserved by the Lantern cast? Just leaving you ha- hanging out to dry and just no good Green Lantern content to consume? Well, go on over to Mosaic Comics where they've got you covered. Wait, I thought the thing that 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 uh, is letting everybody down was um oh Sliders cast, right? That's a different universe. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.